It's TechBiter Worldwide with Bill Flynn. The latest on programs and policies, helpful hints, and a bit of occasional nonsense. All in more or less plain English. Podcast number 831 for the 12th of May, 2023. This week, anyone who wants to create a website needs to start by selecting either an application that edits website code or a service that offers site design tools. Many choices exist, but the two primary contenders are Dreamweaver and WordPress. In short circuits, a virtual private network on your computer is on the way to becoming essential, and Google's VPN service that's part of Google One might be sufficient. The internet is full of useless attractions that are amusing, among them the ability to ride public transit systems online. Come along for a ride on New York City's 7 train. And in 20 years ago, only on the website, is Linux an existential threat to Microsoft? In 2003, that's what Microsoft considered its number one danger. If you're thinking about setting up a website, you'll find a lot of options. Two of the more powerful options are Dreamweaver and WordPress. WordPress sites can be hosted on the WordPress site itself or by website hosting providers such as Bluehost. Sites created with Dreamweaver must be hosted on standard hosting sites such as Bluehost, Dreamhost, or any of many other hosting sites. Some development tools, such as Wix, also offer hosting. Adobe doesn't offer hosting, but Dreamweaver has been a popular choice since 1977. That's when it was developed by Macromedia. Adobe acquired Dreamweaver in 2005. Other options include Microsoft's free digital marketing center, Canva, and Affinity Designer. And here's a spoiler. Dreamweaver is the right choice for a lot of people, including me. I have been pulled into some WordPress projects, but I only seem to spend an enormous amount of time trying to find the right selection on one of WordPress's thicket of menus so that I can accomplish something that would take just a minute or two in Dreamweaver. Even something as simple as keeping a backup of the site is complicated in WordPress because Dreamweaver sites are developed on a local computer and then uploaded. I already have one backup copy of the site on my computer. Another backup is on the CrashPlan server, my backup system, and two more backups are stored locally on detached drives. WordPress sites are developed on the server. A good WordPress host will keep a backup copy on their servers, but obtaining a local backup requires downloading the WordPress database, plugins, and other components. Plugins themselves can be vexing. WordPress provides basic functionality, but the users need to obtain, set up, and modify themes and plugins. Because each of these has been developed by a different company, the user interfaces can differ significantly. So WordPress befuddles me the same way that most applications that try to make things easy for the user befuddle me. Just give me access to the underlying operation and that's what Dreamweaver does. Dreamweaver offers four primary ways to view a page that's being edited. Split screen with code view and design view, split screen with code view and live view, full screen code view, and full screen live view or design view. 
Okay, maybe that's five primary ways to view the page. And if you choose split screen, you have options for horizontal and vertical split. Horizontal split can place the code in the left or right half. Vertical split can place the code in the top or bottom half. All right, so that's even more options. You've got a lot of choices here. Design view shows more or less what will appear in a browser, except that typefaces aren't rendered and menus that depend on cascading style sheets or JavaScript are only hinted at. The advantage of using design view is that it's faster. Live view comes closer to displaying what the website visitors will see, but all of the rendering makes it much slower. A better option for me involves running a local web server such as Apache under XAMPP, and even that isn't really needed because pressing F12 opens a browser and displays the site in real time. This is handy if you have a second monitor. You're designing on the left screen, you can see what's happening on the right screen. When a website has local or web-based files that are included, these are shown in tabs at the top of the page. These can include HTML source code, CSS files, JavaScript files, and HTML files that are included by reference. Local files are usually in normal style, which makes them easy to read and edit. Some local files may be minified, that makes them compact but difficult to edit. Included files from the internet are almost always minified, and the user is not permitted to edit them. Although WordPress constraints make it a vexing application for me because it takes too long to figure out the easy way to do something when I already understand the hard way. But that's exactly what appeals to many people. And I don't mean to imply that WordPress is intended only for those who want the easy way. There are thousands of templates for WordPress. The templates can be modified by users. And those who have spent the time to master the technology can develop beautiful, complex websites in WordPress. There is little need for basic WordPress users to master HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS3. For those who already know how those tools work, though, Dreamweaver seems to be a better choice, and even new users can create functional sites in Dreamweaver without having to master the complexities of HTML5, JavaScript, and CSS3. WordPress has five plans that vary in cost from free to $60 a month. Dreamweaver alone costs $20 a month, but those who need Adobe's other tools will want the full Creative Cloud at about $60 a month. So generally, you get more individual control with Dreamweaver, but WordPress will probably be faster for most people to learn. Those who want to create a basic website with minimal content but excellent design really ought to take a look at Wix. Look at it the way you'd approach buying a car. Are you looking for a sports car? Or are you looking for something you can use to haul tools and building materials around? Do you want soft seats that are heated in the winter? Or is price more important? Matching the tool to the task is the most important part of choosing a website development system. There's no question that Dreamweaver is the right tool for me. For you, it might be one of the other website designer applications that I mentioned. It might be WordPress, or it might be Wix. What's important is doing your own research and identifying the right choice for your requirements. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. 
It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, members of Google One can sign up for a free VPN that operates on Windows and Mac OS systems, as well as on Android and Apple tablets and phones. You can also check to see what information of yours is on the dark web. Google One includes Google Drive that makes it easy to share information among your various computers, tablets, and phones, as well as to share files with friends. Google Photos is included too and a 3% to 10% store credit on purchases from the Google Store. Two new features added in April are dark web monitoring and a VPN. Let's start with dark web monitoring. It's easy to sign up. If you're already a Google One member, you'll have received a message from Google. Just follow the link to get started. Otherwise, log into your account and you'll find all the information right there. The sign-up process includes bits of information about what the dark web is and how your information may have gotten there. And make no mistake, your information, at least some of it, is undoubtedly already there. There's nothing you can do to remove information from the dark web, but you can take protective actions once you know what's there. By default, the dark web monitor will watch for your Gmail address and other information related to Google, but you can add other information that you'd like the system to watch for. Examples include an additional email address or two, secondary phone number, and even your social security number. I assume that my email address is well known. Probably that applies to my phone number too, and my full name. But take a look at the password section and change any passwords that have been exposed, particularly if you have reused any password. And while you're at it, stop reusing passwords. When you drill down, you'll see a list of sources, the date a data breach occurred, and what kind of information was exposed. In some cases, the source is redacted and shown only as sensitive source. Google says that revealing this information might hamper an ongoing investigation. The service will search the dark web and let you know when it finds a match. It's important to point out that this is far from foolproof because the dark web doesn't use domain names like TechBiter, Rutgers.edu, or FBI.gov. Instead, the site names are often a series of random characters and there is no central repository of names. It's essential to know the random characters to access the site. So Google's dark web monitoring doesn't see everything on the dark web. Virtual private networks may remind you of the acceptance of protective software. In the ancient days of computing, an antivirus application was needed only if you regularly visited dodgy bulletin board systems. Then they were recommended for most users. Eventually, they became essential. VPNs have reached that final stage. They are essential. VPNs encrypt and redirect internet traffic so that your internet service provider won't see information about where you go on the internet. ISPs collect information about you and often sell it to marketing companies. 
The VPN can also make it more difficult for trackers to follow you around and see which sites you visit and which apps you use. Using a VPN is absolutely essential whenever you connect to public Wi-Fi because otherwise crooks might be able to see information sent between your device and a server. Admittedly, this is much less likely now that virtually all sites use encrypted HTTPS protocol. One advantage Google's VPN has is that it's free. Services such as NordVPN, Private Internet Access, and others may offer limited free services, but all have fees. Usually the fees are fairly low, just a few dollars a month, and many of them can be used on multiple devices for a single fee. Some allow the user to specify which country they want their connection to originate from, and some offer additional features. Google's VPN is either off or on. No choices, no extra features. Even the best VPN will reduce connection speeds at least a little bit. Based on only one series of tests that I conducted on the 19th of April, Google VPN didn't fare very well. Without a VPN, my computer's downlink speed was 499 megabits per second, the uplink speed 46 megabits per second. The ISP is supposed to provide 500 megabits per second down, 50 megabits per second up, and that's essentially what I was getting. I use NordVPN normally. When it was active, the speeds were 455 megabits per second down, 46 megabits per second up. That's a 9% loss on the downlink side and an 8% loss on the uplink side. Google's VPN performed acceptably in the uplink with 42 megabits per second. That's a 16% reduction, but the downlink speed was only 329 megabits per second. That's a 34% loss. If speed is important to you, Google's VPN might not be adequate. But if speed isn't an issue, the free service might be an excellent solution. To see what benefits might be available to you, just log into your Google account and you'll find a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. I'm a fan of the New York City subway system and recently discovered a way to refresh some memories of that system. Fans of metropolitan transit systems or rail systems in general will find a lot to like on YouTube. During the 1980s and 1990s, I spent two to four weeks in New York City every year attending PC Expo, Direct Marketing Association sessions and Folio Show, and I became sufficiently familiar with the subway system that I could tell tourists how to get where they wanted to go most of the time. Usually, I flew into LaGuardia, rode the Q33 bus, which is now the Q70 SBS, to the 74th Roosevelt Jackson Heights station in Queens. Then I took the E or F train into Manhattan, depending on where I was staying. The 7 train serves that station, too, and it's elevated in Queens, not underground. I always wanted to take the 7, but once it gets into Manhattan, it just goes across town and terminates at 34th Hudson Yards. But I found a way to ride the 7 express train virtually from Flushing all the way into Manhattan. Okay, yes, I have to admit, sometimes I do have too much time on my hands. 
Check out the video on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Rail fans have posted videos from many of New York City's subway lines. Many of them are well made. You'll also find videos from transit systems in Chicago, D.C., San Francisco's Bay Area Rapid Transit, Transit Toronto, and even San Diego. And there are hundreds or maybe thousands of videos that feature freight trains and passenger trains from all around the world. I have to warn you, though, that going for virtual rides might have some things in common with chasing a white rabbit who's always late. Go down that rabbit hole, and you might not come back. At least, not for a while. But you don't need a ticket. You also don't need a ticket to ride 20 years ago on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This week, we look back to 2003 when Microsoft considered Linux to be its biggest threat. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn. There's more on the website, techbiter.com, and if you have a question or a comment, use the contact link you'll find there. Stop by again next week for another session.